one car, two drivers, three wheels, 34 days, and 3,500 miles around India. This is the Trans India Challenge podcast. Welcome to the Trans India Challenge podcast episode 15. My name's Peter Braille. I'm a member of the Trans India Challenge team. And as you may remember, the challenge itself, which is now complete, it was a 3,500 mile road trip around India in a Morgan three-wheeler driven by the British husband and wife team, Alan and Pat Braithwaite, who are now safe and I'm glad to report very well in their home in Suffolk. But they, as along with everybody else, have been significantly impacted by the COVID pandemic. Not more so than the organisation that the Trans India Challenge aims to support. That, of course, is Goonj, a not-for-profit organisation based in India, which generally uses urban waste as currency to promote regeneration of rural communities. Now, set up by husband and wife team Anshu and Manakshi Gupta, uh, if you've been listening to the previous podcast, you will know that they have developed a significant organisation which has helped in times of both disaster and crisis and also uh, generally to support rural communities around India. We caught up on a conference call with Manakshi Gupta along with Alan and Pat and film director and documentary maker David Campbell, who, again, if you've been listening to previous podcasts, you will know was part of the team that was in India and he was filming the documentary. We'll be hearing from him later in the podcast. But I started by asking Manakshi how she and Anshu had been faring in these quite unprecedented times. We're okay, getting on. Not used to being at home. Anshu certainly is sort of finding it very, very odd. But because he sort of opened up his office literally from home, um, me and Uri, we both get to see him very, for very short spans of time. But we're glad to have each other around. I think that's the, we're just counting our blessings. And how is it with Goonj at the moment? Initially, we were trying to make sense of what was going on, how to respond to the unprecedented nature of this particular disaster. If you see what has happened in India, after the lockdown, it, unlike many other countries where, uh, of course, the pandemic has had a huge impact. But in India, right after, just the day after the lockdown was announced, there's a huge population. Now imagine people just came out of their home, had nothing in their homes, had no money with them, not really, I mean, barely anything. And they just picked up their children and maybe a bag full of their own stuff, all that they have in the world. And they just came out on the road and they started walking. They just started walking back to their villages. That unimaginable kind of sight was something which moved us to say, okay, this is not like any other disaster at all. There must be some like ultimate level of despera- desperation which moves a person to do something like that. But little children, uh, you know, pregnant women, old people, like people who didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. So those are the kind of things which have driven us to say that we must, first of all, address the needs of these people. Some of them are still in the cities, stuck in the cities because they're not being able to come out. Some of them are on the way. People have been walking. Pat, can I bring you in? If you've lost your men to the big cities and they're coming back now, having walked hundreds of miles just to um, get back home, 
what do you do? You don't want them coming into the village until they've been actually you know, in quarantine for a couple of weeks. And I mean, that must be devastating. You know, the family's wanting to sort of meet up with dad or grandpa or whatever, um, but unable to go anywhere near them. And they, of course, want to be embraced with their family again and won't be able to. So it must be exceedingly hard. You know, you've got the two sides. You can see that um, they've got to be put into quarantine. Otherwise, they could decimate the whole of that village. And that would be disastrous for them as well. Some of them have reached villages and don't have like a huge you know, source of sustenance. So we've been supporting community kitchens where people are being fed who didn't have any meals. We've been trying to get ration kits wherever we could. Our own teams who had never actually gone into making food uh, saw these desperate people walking on the roads and they decided to you know, put something together and just give out food kits. We have applied something called the hub and spoke model always in the in disasters in the past as well where there's a central hub but the the reaching out of things and uh, on the last level where we are working it's very decentralized it's very localized so all of those learnings of course we've tried to apply it here i think one of the things we are acutely aware of is that this is a disaster which is still unfolding at least in india so we are acutely aware of the change in circumstances of people. There is a huge hunger issue right now. When the lockdown opens up, no one can fully sort of imagine how the world is going to change. What we know is it is going to change for sure. Alan, can I bring you in here? The, the, the foundations were already there. So that gave them this ability to actually move very quickly in this situation. How much learning is there there for other, for other countries? It's a widely recognized management principle of local for local. And of course, you're then playing off that ability to be responsive against perceived economies of scale from uh, mass production and mass distribution. And so there is huge value in localized solutions. And clearly, in the current condition, that's something that Goonj has recognized and, and is giving massive discretion people on the ground that's the only way to do it um i think if you look ahead and you say is there going to be a massive swing against mass production mass distribution i'm beginning to think there will be i think supply chains will be reorganized and redesigned and organizations will change accordingly the the thing then will be the role of government in in actually promoting that because we're now seeing that what's happened with coronavirus is a threat to national security. So am I confident the politicians will get it? Sadly not. No, I think, Alan, you've, you're absolutely right, because our work is a lot of supply chain management work, right? Because we used to be moving a lot of material. But in this time of social distancing and, you know, the vulnerability to infections of, for the people who are going to be in the chain of this whole supply chain management, we realized that we would be causing more trouble than, you know, solving a problem. And also it, in a lockdown situation to get material moving from one state to another or going to several you know, stations and picking up, this was just not a practical thing to do. And that's why the whole localization thing made much more sense. The people were able to go to a local vendor 
buy rations from there and we would transfer uh, you know make a money transfer to the vendor and get the material there and then they wouldn't have to worry about getting going to some other place and picking up material from there bringing trucks or whatever so it worked in in more ways than one and it helped us to reach out to communities in so many different parts where otherwise you know getting material by from delhi or from any big city would have been a huge logistical work we feel very very responsible and anshu's talked about this need to build build back the trust that these people lost when they left the cities and i think that is the most critical element of understanding where the focus of goal should be we need to go back to the villages we need to work with these people i mean i'm sure some of them will come back uh, because they they really don't have any work there but how do we uh, restore their sense of self how do we restore their sense of dignity how do we show them that the world cares that we care that's what we've been trying to do what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge in rebuilding the trust that the pandemic may have damaged not necessarily in goonge but in society generally i mean these are the people who made our lives easy whether you are a vp of a company or you are whoever you are you still have to cook for yourself you still have to clean your house you still have to do everything that you need to do to sustain so you realize how important or what big role they were playing in our lives and to value that that is where the trust and rebuilding of that relationship that's the kind of the basis on which it needs to be reestablished the value that we give them the care that we show for them the dignity that we value for them Alan can I bring you in here how do do Manakshi's words resonate with you what we discovered was going to put stand roots in the communities it works with becomes a trusted partner stays the course all the things that you know you you would value around a relationship and that's what we're seeing now gunge is leveraging and it it's not just the people in the villages but it's the other ngos and that's something truly remarkable and you would hesitate to write that script in the west that's what gunge is doing and and man actually says well the world's got to be different i pray that it is different if i can do anything to make it different i will but as we've seen certainly here in the uk as uh, a significant number of people where human nature is just basically selfish that's something we didn't find in india to anything like the same extent and that's why we love the place pat can i bring you in for a minute you really touched on the humanity that you saw in india and some of the issues as well around that humanity the humanity the sharing the friendship the help is overwhelmingly so this is what i think we love so much about india is that they all do seem to want to support and help others even if they have little of their own available they're willing to share willing to help which willing to support in some shape and form we do feel isolated now ourselves from everything not only our own family but you know from india and other countries but everything is going to change i do appreciate that and i think that everybody in the villages they know goonge they know that they're they're friends they're good people and so i think that whatever happens even now they're probably looking towards goonge and all the other ngos to help and support because i i think they know that it will help them tremendously and hopefully to get through this without you know any sort of lasting problems it is a fact that has come through 
in more ways than one at the end of the day our needs our desires uh, our fears are all the same on the other side of this pandemic it will be a changed world now the question is how do we decide or how do we respond to that need of a different world do we respond to the fear or we do we respond to the connection we must respond to the connect we must respond to the fact that we are all connected as human beings and i think at boonge we have very clear understanding of how we are going to respond to that question it is it is about being a human being so i'm saying let's look at how we respond to this disaster that's always a question there will be disasters we've had a lot in the past humanity has faced a lot of disasters in the past and it will in the future as well even when the corona virus goes away so i think in india we know, know that very well and we we see a whole lot of people the common people who don't have that much money but who could not stand the sight of people being you know going without food and they've come out with community kitchens and trying to do everything that they can so i put my hope and i put my sort of better that part of the world also taking part in the conference call was david campbell film and documentary director who will be producing the transindia challenge documentary itself now if you've been listening to previous podcasts you'll know that david was my co-presenter and partner in crime as well as experiencing everything that the challenge could throw at all of us he also uh, has a greater insight than many into the coronavirus pandemic partly because his two daughters are working on the front line in the NHS here in the UK uh, one of them in fact managing a coronavirus ward looking after patients but david unfortunately uh, gained first hand knowledge of the virus when he fell victim to it a couple of weeks ago thankfully uh, he's on the mend and we talked to him my first question being how is his recovery going uh, the whole point of this coronavirus thing is a lot of lots of people have no symptoms at all lots of people have had it and they don't realize they had it lots of people like me have had it and it's been very mild and that sort of gives you a false sense of the trouble it can cause for the small i say small it could be up to 20% of people who have coronavirus become very ill indeed and just because i've been fine with it doesn't mean it's not a very nasty disease but i see some of these people on tv and i think If that's what happens to some people I've been very very lucky. You have recovered. You are feeling now pretty much back to 100% and 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 we all are very thankful for that and and, and pleased to to hear from you. You have had a chance to at least review the footage that you collected on this remarkable challenge and you're now starting to sort of wrestle it to the ground in some kind of shape for a documentary. How how's how's that coming together? I've always described uh, making a documentary as a bit like sculpture. You start off with a huge block of stone and start chipping away from, you know, and trying to find the shape underneath. At the moment, I've got this huge block of stone that's had a lot of bits knocked out of it. <laughs> it looks like uh, it's actually going quite well. Uh, I have on my wall uh, in index cards the first act or the first part of the documentary, sort of written mapped out, and it is. shaping up to be a fantastic story amanda who's uh, one of the producers who's working on it with me was looking at this today and uh, i described the story to her and she just went yes that is amazing so but that's one third of it you know that's that's up to the point where the car first broke down and it is it's a, you you couldn't write a script for a film that works that way at least for the first third of it anyway you know everything had been getting better and it had been 
we'd started off great from Mumbai. We were traveling up, we'd faced challenges on the road. We'd had that rough bit between Kamam and Rajamundri. We thought we'd got away with it. We were in Vizak. Alan had uh, visited the university, done a lecture. Alan was on top of the world. We were in the top of the world thinking, this is great. And then suddenly, the world fell apart. And, you know, that's exactly the way you would write a story like that. It couldn't have happened any better, you know, at the time. You, you might know, want to tell. You might want to tell that to Alan. <laughs> well, I said at the time. I, I said at the time. I said this is devastating, but it's wonderful. <laughs> With hindsight, now we got out the other end. I mean, we 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 had our time in uh, Kolkata uh, where we repaired the car and got it back on the road, and that was a wonderful event too in itself. Now that we know that we got around and we made it, and we made it without any like serious problems, looking back on the, on the few problems that we did have with the drivetrain going and then the fuel pump going in the third leg, it couldn't have worked any better it, it, for, from a story perspective. We didn't flee that way at the time, obviously, but looking back on it now, great things happened. <laughs> so at that point, I'll bring Alan back in. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, from a film director's perspective, it's, yeah. it, it's from absolutely a story. perfect. If it had all gone smoothly, you would have had no story, you know. Yeah. So Alan, given everything that we went through, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that it's going to make a good documentary, what's your thoughts on that? You know, I was expecting some sort of major breakdown. I hadn't expected that it would take us off the road in both cases for three, four, five days or whatever it was. I was reflecting the other day. I think we were jolly lucky that we had the Delhi and the Kolkata stops where they were. You know, we could have had it in a much worse place. But actually, the Jagad and the efforts to fix it and the commitment of the team, and I found that picture of that young... Bengali mechanic who had the most wonderful face in Kolkata and he was so pleased to come and work on this completely lunatic car in the middle of the bloody night at his weekends he really didn't mind at all he had to shove money in his pocket and that face is probably the the high spot of the whole thing or one of the high spots and for me that's the real story it's it's all those amazing people we met and that we overcame some of the inconvenience of riding around India in a very small car in great heat and breaking down quite often. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, Alan's actually made a very good uh, point there. When you have a major problem, when you have a crisis and people come and help, that's when you learn a lot about humanity. You learn a lot about people. The guys in Kolkata, the guys in uh, Agra and the guys in Delhi who helped us at each time we had a major issue did so without any thought of recompense they did it just the, the generosity and the love and just wanting to help was um i hesitate to say that it's different in india than anywhere else in the world but it, it felt like that it felt like uh, as there was a culture of 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 generosity and um openness and helpfulness I think human beings are terribly complex. <laughs> and I, I hope the good wins through. I really do. 
And on that philosophical note from David Campbell, that's about it for this episode of the Trans India Challenge podcast. But it is important to say that we did set a target of £200,000 to raise, and that target is still there. And clearly, from everything that you will have heard from this podcast, it is even more important that we reach that target for Goonge and uh, help their incredible efforts out in India. In order to do that, you can contribute by visiting the Trans India Challenge website, transindiachallenge.com, and clicking on a Contribute Now button. You can also contribute using the Give Asia website. Simply click on giveasia.com and search for Trans India Challenge, and it's a relatively simple process to be able to contribute that way. You can also follow us on social media. We're still up and running, and uh, that's at Trans India Challenge for Facebook and Instagram, and at Trans India Chal on Twitter. And you can listen to previous episodes of the Trans India Challenge podcast on Anchor FM, on Spotify, on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and all good podcasting apps near you. If you have reached this point, thank you once again, as always, for listening. We will be back and we will be continuing to update you on the progress of the documentary. But in the meantime, please stay safe, stay healthy, observe the social distancing and hygiene regulations, please. And we look forward to talking to you again in the very near future. (laughs) 